hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners, to the May 21st edition of our daily devotional. So if you recall, our daily devotional is split into two different segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse of the day for today comes from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, which says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who uh, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the high priests of Israel could not make a perfect sacrifice, an atonement for sin, because they themselves stood condemned by their own sin. So at verse 14, which is the first verse, which says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. That verse reminds us, as believers, it's of Jesus' Jesus' superiority over the old priestly system. For you see, Jesus passed through the heavens and sits with God. He sits with God. Jesus endured every temptation to the fullest extent, and yet remained faithful to God. His sacrifice, his atonement, and his mediation on our behalf are perfect in every way and fulfill the demands of the law. Because of Jesus' effective priestly ministry, we should hold fast to the faith we profess, which is exactly what verse 14 is telling us. The writer of Hebrews then summons believers to hold on to their faith and cling to the promises of the gospel precisely because of our great high because our great high priest has accomplished the work of salvation. That is why in verse 16, which is the very last verse, which says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is why that verse, that is why in that verse, the author reminds us to come to the throne of grace with confidence. So the truth of verse 16 represents a dramatic reversal of our status before our faith in Christ. So prior to conversion, the throne of God would have been the seat of judgment and condemnation. In Christ, we can now come to God's throne of grace and receive strength from our Lord in time of need and in our time of struggle. 
So when Satan assaults us, when we give in to temptation, when trials burden us, what we must do is we must run with bold assurance to God's presence. For our high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, reigns there and intercedes for us. And the Bible readings that you gotta do today are for Samuel 29 through 31, John 11, 55 through 12, 19, Psalm 118, 1 through 18, and Proverbs 15, 24 through 26. So we have just finished the day devotional for the verse of the day for May the 21st. Now we're going to move into the through the Bible in one year segment of May of the daily devotional for May the 21st. And so this is day 141 of this installment. So just a brief reminder. If you have missed any of Arthur the Bible in one year segments, you may get caught back up by visiting upstatechristian.com. So our focus for today, the passage we're going to be in today, is John chapter 8. <coughs> and we're going to be going from verse 12 through verse 20. So what we saw yesterday was we saw this kind of parenthetical insertion right, in John's Gospel of Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. So now we are moving away from the parenthetical insertion into more solid scholarly ground that most scholars believe this next section should actually belong in John's Gospel. So what we see today is that there is once again a dispute that arises over Jesus' testimony about about himself. But we also see Jesus' second I am statement. And so you see chapter 8 really, really, really and truly brings us in to the heart, into the meat of John's gospel because we're just about to the halfway point. Because we're only 21 chapters in John's gospel. So we're just about to the halfway point. So this is really the so we're about a quarter of the way through, maybe a little bit more. So we're going to start by looking at verses 12 through 13, uh, which say, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Your testimony is not valid. So Jesus here declared himself to be the light of the world. So this is the second, like I said earlier, of Jesus' seven I am statements that are found only in John's Gospel. So while the expression appears simple and straightforward, the imagery that is used is rich and multi-layered. So if you remember, the prologue set the stage for the importance of of light, of the light imagery, of this imagery of light. So we start in John chapter 1, verse 4. So the imagery of light reminds us of descriptions from the Old Testament. So what do we mean by that? So, 
God's first creation was like this, Genesis 1 through through 4. God's presence with his people after they departed Egypt was symbolized in the pillar of fire by night in a cloud by day. That's Exodus 13, 21 through 22. So, right, light symbolized salvation. That's John, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, Psalm 27, verse 1. God's word was depicted as a light to guide his people. That's 119, 105. God called Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. That's Isaiah 49, 6. And the prophets predicted that light would shine forth from the temple in the last days. That's Isaiah chapter 60, verses 14 through 22. And Zechariah chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. <coughs> so now you see what this means, right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when he said, I am the light, the people automatically thought about all of these things depicted in the Old Testament. Right? That's what they thought of. And when they heard the phrase, I am, they automatically presumed Jesus was making himself equal with God again. So the presence of Jesus, the light of the world, means people have one of two choices. <coughs> they can follow him in discipleship and know the light of God's life, God's presence, and God's protection, or they can reject him and live in spiritual darkness. Live in spiritual darkness. So as expected, the Pharisees challenged the validity of Jesus' testimony and chose the darkness. Argued that his testimony was invalid because he had no other witnesses to confirm it. <coughs> so we're going to pick up now in verse 14 and we're going to go through verse 18. Which says, Jesus answered, If I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass a judgment <coughs> on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. So what's Jesus saying there, right? So Jesus responded to the Pharisees' challenge by appealing to his origin and destiny to validate his own self-testimony. In contrast, we see that the Pharisees had no idea where Jesus was from or where he was going. Jesus does not judge like the Pharisees did because his judgments are made in conjunction with the Father. So that's what that second part says. So, well, that's what verse 15 says. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. Right? So Jesus' argument then took an ironic twist. Because he met the Pharisees' demand for two witnesses by offering himself and God as those witnesses. So that's that last verse, right? Which says, I am one who testifies for myself, for my other witness is the Father who sent me. Who sent me. So the irony, the irony is that he gave the Pharisees what they asked for, 
but did so in terms they could not recognize or receive, or, to put it better, they chose not to recognize and they chose not to receive because it invalidated their power base. It made them invalid, so they chose to not believe, they chose not to recognize, and they chose not to receive because they judged according to human standards. So now we're going to come to these last two verses in this section, which says, Then they asked him, Where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. So the Pharisees again asked about the location of Jesus' father, so that the father could present himself as a witness. You see, they wanted to question this quote-unquote witness, even though the witness of Jesus' father was all of Jesus' statement about this, was everything that the Old Testament had already said. So everything that the law and the prophets had already said. So they already had this witness, they just chose to not recognize it as a valid witness because it invalidated their own belief system. Their question revealed their ignorance concerning Jesus or his relationship to God. Jesus' response then confirmed the Pharisees' ignorance. So you see, he said, if you knew me, you would know my father also. So in other words, he said, if you know who I truly am, you would know who my father truly is. So what we see here, so, ne- so then this last verse, verse 20, gives us the location where all of this took place. So it says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, in a place where the offering were put. So in other words, he spoke these words in the area near the temple treasury, which was located in the court of women, which was the only place that women could go into the temple. So, more than likely, what happened, right, was that, when it says in uh, verse 2, it says that Donnie appeared again in the temple court, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them, right, so Jesus hasn't left the temple courts, so the temple courts be the, the courts of women, so that's why they were able to drag this woman that we saw, talked about yesterday, into the temple, but naked. Remember that, keep that in mind. They've just dragged this woman they have, quote-unquote, caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, but naked. And now Jesus has said, I am the light of the world, and he's already told this woman, go and sin no more, and they, they're probably furious, so they're trying to catch him and trap him again. And then what does it say? Uh, yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So you see the Pharisees and the religious leaders desperately wanted to essentially shut this man up. But they couldn't shut him up. They couldn't arrest him because his time had not come yet. Because you see, his life, Jesus' life, was governed by God's timing, as is all of our lives. And that's the big 
big key. That's why it's repeated over and over and over again in John's Gospel. Jesus abided by God's timing and not man's timing. If Jesus rushed things, then it would have gone outside of God's plan. But Jesus went along with God's plan, even though it may have seemed a little bit silly. It may have seemed a little bit ludicrous, 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 excuse me, at the time. But Jesus went along with it, because he knew if he did not go along with it, things would go bad. So now, the <coughs> so that was the dispute over Jesus' testimony. Tomorrow we're going to look at the dispute over who Jesus is. And so in order to do that, here's what you need to read for tomorrow. You need to read Second Samuel verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 11. John chapter 12, verses 20 through 50, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29, and Proverbs 15, 27 through 28.